You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. So we're, we're continuing on our 12-week spiritual boot camp series. So it's, it's spring, summer's coming, we're going to get fit and healthy, but it's going to be spiritually fit and healthy. And last week we started with, the, with looking at how to detox ourselves, you know, every good Every good exercise program or diet has a detox phase, doesn't it? So last week we looked at the toxin of busyness, how to rid our lives of busyness by practising rest, Sabbath rest. So of course my question for you, if you heard the sermon or even if you didn't hear the sermon, how did you go? Did you get a day of rest at some point in the last couple of weeks? Did you get a Sabbath day of rest? few nods. Someone got 15 minutes. Well done. Half an hour. Okay, so lucky for those people who only got 15 minutes or half an hour, you can access the sermon online and you can, you can revisit what you didn't learn last fortnight and have another crack at it. Really? Wow, that's fantastic. That's that's great news. That yeah, first full day in six months. Wow, in longer than, in longer than six months. Mm, that's good. That's good. We need it, don't we? Um, we we need to we need to practice some of these these spiritual habits. They're really important uh, because Christ, uh, as I said last week, he has a desire that he has a radiant church. Ephesians five twenty seven, a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And of course, Christ feeds for his body. He feeds you. He um, he he cares for us in the same way that we care for our physical bodies. And he has set in place certain spiritual activities or spiritual disciplines or habits that that we're to use to shape our lives in order for them to flourish as he intended them to flourish. Christ has a fitness program for us. He has a fitness program for the church. He has a fitness program for you. And so in this detox phase of our, our, our fitness program, spiritual fitness program, we're learning to stop things. And when we stop things, do you know what that does? That increases our trust of God. And it allows certain kind of life toxins to be released from our lives. I want want to really emphasize too, this is something we need to support each other to do. And uh, I loved, Alison, you sharing that testimony about you you supporting your mum to, uh, you know, challenge herself in in this area. And, um, you know, the idea of 12-week fitness programs is that people get together to exercise, don't they? Most exercise programs don't work so well if you're on your own. Uh, But when people get together, they they motivate one another to stay on track. And when it's a shared experience, it's going to be more successful. I was listening to one of our Mainly Music mums last week and they were talking about the local 12-week exercise boot camp. Have you heard of the, the local boot camp that, that runs? Someone here is, likes to get along at 5.30am to be part of it. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. 
And, and, and one of the mums at Mainly Music was sharing her experiences uh, with one of the other mums about the exercises and how sore they felt and how they couldn't do certain exercises so they decided to have a go of, of some easier replacements and they laughed together about uh, their, their, their experiences and, you know, they were motivating one another as they were talking about it to continue. And it kind of made the, the, the pain of exercise fun because it was shared pain. <laughs> and, and there were people that were, were joining in with them. And so what I want to say to us is, is share your stories with one another about your spiritual exercise. You know, I loved Cindy just being really honest and open about her, her, her spiritual disciplines, Bible reading, and how sometimes she... she she ebbs and sometimes she flows. Is that what you said, Cindy? That's right. And, and it's great for us to talk about, you know, and even laugh about our failed attempts. Talk about our sore spiritual muscles. Talk about ideas for replacement exercises if you find things too hard. Do the exercises together. It's more fun. A few of us last, the other week, did one of the uh, devotional studies on you version together. So if you invite friends to do the devotion with you, you all show up on the same little page and you can see when each of you have done it and you can make comments that each of you can see. And it just spurs you along, doesn't it? It just motivates you that little bit more. So I encourage you, the, there's a, a link to a devotion on, on today's event that I'm recommending. Get onto it. Invite, invite other members of the church to do it with you and do it as a group and it'll be, it'll be far more um, uh, fun for you. So today, today's detox, are you ready for today's detox? Identity. We're going to detox our identity. Specifically, we're going to detox our addiction to approval. I don't know if you know about it, but most of us here are a bit addicted to approval. And uh, we're going to detox our addiction to approval by practising the habit of silence solitude and secret service. Silence, solitude and secret service. Now you might wonder how silence, solitude and secret service will help break an approval addiction. What on earth do those things have to do with our inner identity? Here's the thing, ironically, the, the solution to breaking our addiction to approval, to seeing our identity uh, be placed in a, in a healthy space, the solution is not actually to focus on the problem. We often think that, that we solve a problem by focusing on the problem. We actually don't. You actually need a backdoor approach to this one. And the spiritual disciplines we're looking at over the next 12 weeks are, are kind of like backdoor entry points for us to grow spiritually fit. So there's certain things at present we cannot do, uh, but there are other things that, that we can do that are within our ability that if we do them, they will strengthen and train us to be able to do those things that we can't yet do. So there's things we can't yet do, but there are some things we can. So we do these things and they strengthen us and train us and make us more able to do those things we currently can't do. So, for example, think about running a marathon. Actually, we had a few people run a bit of a, a race this morning. How, was it 10 kilometres? 10 kilometres. Technically, that's not a marathon, but I call that a marathon. Yeah? Anyone else here call 10Ks a marathon? Oh, I, I think so. So running a marathon. Let's say, let's say running a marathon up a mountain. How's that? You, I guess you guys wouldn't have been running up a mountain today, just 
streets of Wagga. I actually have relatives who do that for fun on weekends. They run marathons through mountains and things. Um, if you decided to run a marathon tomorrow and, and you went out to run that marathon, what would happen? You would die. <laughs> would you succeed or fail or die? Yeah, you'd fail, wouldn't you? Okay, uh, certainly I would anyway. I'd fail. I'd never succeed at running a marathon simply by registering for a marathon and heading out and running it because it's completely outside my current capability. It's currently impossible. And you know what? It doesn't matter how much, how much learning I do about marathons, how much reading I do about marathons, how much self-understanding I, I, I have or self-will or determination or how much passion and desire I muster up at that start line of the marathon. If I tried to run a marathon tomorrow, I'd fail. However, there are certain things within my capability that if I do them, then eventually, one day in a long, long, long time, I, I'd be able to run a marathon. So I could start by lifting weights, couldn't I? Like really little, tiny, tiny weights. I could start by lifting weights. And that would build my muscle mass, wouldn't it? I could go bike riding. I could swim. I mean, you might think, well, what's swimming and bike riding got to do with running a marathon? Well, plenty, hasn't it? You know, builds your cardiovascular uh, fitness. So there are lots of things that I could do that are currently within my ability that do not even involve running that would help me to one day in the future succeed at running a marathon. And so spiritual habits are like that. They, they are activities or things that we do to bring us greater spiritual health and fruitfulness, and, and, and they bring fruitfulness in areas that we can't grow by direct effort. Does that kind of make sense? Yep. Now, I don't want you to think that we're ignoring here the role of the Holy Spirit. Um, of course, the Holy Spirit helps to cultivate our spiritual health and our spiritual transformation. Um, but, but the Holy Spirit, I want us to think of the Holy Spirit as a bit like our personal trainer. Uh, a personal trainer can devise an exercise program for us can help us achieve the goals, a trainer empowers people, but unless we actually choose to participate and do what the trainer asks us, we're going to remain unfit, aren't we? Yep. One more little, one more little proviso before I really get into this, and, and that's this. This assumes that we are reasonably fit and healthy in the spiritual emotional sense as a human beings. For example, you know, there's no point being a wheelchair user and training for a, for a running marathon. You, you, you're not ever going to be able to run a marathon if you're a wheelchair user, are you? So spiritual disciplines will see just the average person grow and benefit by practising them. Uh, some people, you know, who, whose lives are characterised by trauma or um, uh, certain circumstances or illness, you know, they may find that these spiritual disciplines are not going to affect the same degree of change that they do in others. You'll benefit from them, most certainly, but you might need some extra care and prayer and spiritual breakthrough before you start to notice good fruit from the practice of these disciplines. Okay, so just keep that in mind. So our addiction to approval. Do you know what's at the heart of this addiction? It's, it's our identity asking, who is the greatest of all time? Who is the goat? Have you heard that term? Goat? Anyone down the back there heard that term? Yep. 
one has. Who is the goat? Who is the greatest of all time? Who is the goat? You got it yet? It's an acronym, G-O-A-T. So it's a, it's a word used sort of um, in, in slang or jargon or in sports and, and also particularly online gaming. So if you don't have any online gamers in your house, you might be familiar with that term. But you've just learned a new term and you are now cool and hip and you can rock up to one of the teenagers and say, hey man, what's goat? Something, I don't know if that's how you use it. Does that make sense? Who's goat? Who's the goat? I don't know. You can try. You probably won't look very cool. I don't think I look cool by now. Anyway. You've got a picture there of... of um, hey, check this out. Hey, these goats are really the goat. I mean, greatest of all time, goats or what? I had a, a work colleague um, go to Morocco recently and he came back and was showing me these at work on, on um, Friday. And I went, man... They're the goat, aren't they? I mean, they're the greatest of all time goats. Look at that. That's, that's impressive. Like it makes you stop and admire and appreciate and go, wow. And you can't help but wonder, are they doing that for approval? Like are they doing that for the show for tourists? I, I don't know. It's pretty spectacular, isn't it? I, I don't know how they, um, how they get up there or how they stay there. Who is the goat? We desperately want it to be us, don't we? We desperately want to be the greatest of all times, at home, at work, at church, in the community. Uh, you know that you have, uh, have a bit of a problem in this area. You know that you're addicted to approval when. And there's a bit of a list here. Bear with me. But I think they're, they're, they're relevant, so I want us to, to get through this list. Gosh, time. So you know you're addicted to approval when. You look for the opportunity to have status or power over others. You make decisions based on what you think others will think. You measure your success based on what they think. When you use your words to control or manipulate others, and I should add, that can be in the nicest of ways. You know, they may, ver may never even realise that you're uh, trying to manipulate them through your words. But we can flatter people, can't we? We can compliment them. We can offer false submission to their authority. And this can all be ways that we use our words to manipulate people. You know you're addicted to approval when you always have to get your own way, when your happiness is dependent on getting what you want. You're addicted to approval when outwardly we honour or obey someone but inwardly are critical and rebellious towards them. Um, when we see people as resources or tools to help us get approval or recognition, they might be useful to us if we can use them to achieve our aims, but we rarely value their interests, their goals and their success. Uh, we look for ways to be weak and vulnerable so that others will step in and provide care and comfort. Perhaps we fantasise or daydream about extreme or horrible things happening to us and we imagine all the love and support we'd get if it were to happen. You fear conflict or rejection, so you avoid people or avoid doing things that risk failure in front of others. Perhaps saying no is hard for you. Perhaps hearing no is hard for you. If, if you do something that someone doesn't approve of, or even if you think they don't approve of it, you get guilty and stressed. Perhaps you take on too much responsibility or take the responsibility of others. Perhaps... Uh, you are always comparing yourself to others, either they're better than you or you think that you're better than them. 
you uh, think you don't measure up, you think you're a fraud, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. Perhaps you have ultra-high standards for yourself. You think you can read other people's minds and what they think of you. You're always guessing about what people might be saying about you behind your back. Perhaps you think that they're praising and admiring you or that they're criticising and condemning you. When someone disapproves or disagrees with you, you think it is because there is something wrong with them or something wrong with you. You're always trying to fix problems for others or do things for them that are their responsibility. You take uh, control or ownership over other people's lives. You know, what is at the source of our, our, our problem, our addiction approval, is, is this. Galatians 1.10. Galatians 1.10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. We're, we're addicted to the feelings that come from being noticed or admired by others. We want to feel important, don't we? We, we, we like feeling important. And we can't cope when we're feeling insecure or unsure about ourselves. Uh, when we're feeling unsure about whether we're loved, whether we're accepted, whether we're forgiven. And we make ourselves feel okay by getting validation from other people. And it's like a drug and we get this hit of pleasure when other people reassure us and honour us and praise us and comfort us. They validate us as people and we feel okay for as long as the, the high from the approval and appreciation and admiration lasts. And of course, like a drug, what happens? The feelings go. And, and the high is replaced with a low and we begin to crave approval and acceptance once more. And the cycle continues and I think often this addiction presents like a two-sided coin. There's, there seems to be two sort of seemingly opposite ways people express their need. The first way people express it is in sort of a, a neediness and a vulnerability and a, a fear and, and, and an emotional sort of expression. They withdraw from people. Perhaps they lack confidence. And the other side of the coin, the other way people display this is it displays as pride and arrogance and anger and, and almost too much self-confidence. And it, it kind of seems like they're, they're different things, but really they, they, they both have the same root. It is an identity that's craving for approval and love and acceptance from God and from others. Of course, this is part of our broken human nature, isn't it? And, and it's, it's part of our nature that's still in the process of transformation. And I tell you what, this, this is one of the hardest parts of your old sin identity to budge. I, I, I think um, this, is, this is our flesh nature that belongs on the cross and it does not belong in your life. And yet it seems to be the thing that as people we really struggle to, uh, to be free from. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And I'll tell you what, if you haven't laid this part of your identity, your addiction to approval at the cross, it is holding you back. It's holding you back from living the life Jesus wants for you. It's more than that. It's slavery. You are in slavery. If you are allowing your addiction to approval to continue to control and dominate your life, you are living in slavery and you don't have to. Jesus offers freedom. He died on the cross so that you would be free from your old sin nature. And so I say, why keep it? He rose to life and if he has power over death, 
then he has power over this area of your life too. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Yeah. If you're having some difficulty in this area of your life, you're not alone. The need for approval and significance, it's common to us all. And so today we're going to take some steps to break free from your addiction. Do you know the disciples struggled with it? Luke 9.46. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. And again in Luke 22.24, they have the same argument. At the Last Supper, they're again arguing over who is the greatest? Who's the goat? Who's the goat? Can you imagine them there? The table? Who's better? I am. No, I am. I am. You know, we want others to see how great we are and to praise us for it. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knows what's at the heart of human nature. And that's why he said this. He said in Matthew 6, 1, he said, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So sometimes we go through all the motions of trying to get fit, spiritually fit and healthy. We do all the kind of common things. We go to church, we read our Bibles, we pray, we receive prayer. But, but we seem to just slide back into those old patterns and nothing seems to change. Here's the thing, you, you, can't, you can't lose weight by trying not to put on weight. You can't lose weight by trying not to put on weight. So, so you, you can't get skinny by just trying not to be fat. You see the little subtlety there? You can't get skinny by trying not to get fat. You can't be righteous by just trying not to be unrighteous. You can't keep the law by trying not to break it. You can't walk in your new creation identity by just trying not to walk in your old sin identity. You can't be free of your addiction to approval by just trying to not want approval. It doesn't work. And this is why. Because the more we focus on ourselves, the worse off we get in this area. The more we think and obsess about our self-identity, the more of a problem it becomes to us. We become too focused on ourselves, and that is what is at the heart of our approval addiction. Maybe you're like me and you've spent many years kind of confused about the whole humility versus pride versus self-worth thing. Like, how can I have a healthy self-worth and see myself as Christ sees me without sort of suddenly getting too proud or having too high an opinion of myself or, or having too lower an opinion of myself? Do you ever kind of get a little bit muddled about how to, how to sit in the right place with your identity. And the more I try and have a healthy understanding of my identity in Christ, somehow the, the harder it seems to, to grasp. And you can learn this stuff in your head, can't you? I mean, you can quote all those affirming who I am in Christ scriptures till Jesus returns. But sometimes they don't seem to sink down where you really need them to sit. Timothy Keller says this, and there's a link in that in the U version to, to this sermon of his. Timothy Keller says this: We don't need to think less of ourselves 
as being self-condemning or, or think of ourselves as hopeless. We don't need to think more of ourselves, so trying to love ourselves more or feel more successful or more full of ourselves. Instead, we need to think of ourselves less. So we don't need to think less of ourselves. We don't need to think more of ourselves. Instead, we need to think of ourselves less. Okay? This is what it means to be a disciple who's living out Mark 8:34. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. We did a, our fan versus follower sermon a few weeks ago, and it was all about that, taking up your cross, denying yourself, forgetting about yourself, and, and following Jesus. And so to detox the addiction that we have, our, that our identities have to approval, we need to think of ourselves less. And so we're going to build our self-forgetfulness muscles. This is like lifting weights to become self-forgetful. And we're going to do that through these four S's. Silence, solitude and secret service. It's a bit of a tongue twister, but it's a good one. Silence, solitude and secret service. So what do I mean by, by those four words? It's the deliberate choice to refrain from being heard, seen or noticed. It's to serve others in a way that is unseen or uncelebrated. It's regularly coming before God in silence and stillness as an act of surrender and submission to him. Revelation 8.1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Or in 1 Kings, you'd be familiar with the story where Elijah meets with God and, and it's not in the powerful wind, it's not in the earthquake or fire, but it's in the gentle whisper. And, you know, there is something incredibly holy about silence. And I thought it was incredibly beautiful during worship that we ended up with that period of silence where we just stood in God's presence. We just stood there, not trying to be anything big or special or do or say anything, but we just stood in God's holy presence. You know, the average person speaks about 15,000 words per day. Who here thinks they're a 15,000 word a day kind of person? Anyone? Yeah? Yeah? Depends on you, the day, who you're with. It's a lot of words, isn't it? They're just the spoken words. Imagine how many words if we were able to somehow count the words in our head, in our mind. Can you imagine, can you imagine how noisy God's world is? <laughs> no wonder he likes silence. Hey, no wonder he went, look, heaven, half an hour. This is half an hour of silence, folks. Come on, just half an hour. Give me half an hour. Uh, I would say most of us, 95, look, I'm just pulling this figure out there, 95, 98, let's say 99% of us need more silence in our lives. You can see there's a bit of an overlap here, can't you, with, with Sabbath rest from last week. Sabbath rest obviously includes times of solitude, times of quiet. Jesus valued solitude and secrecy and he recognised the need for it for himself and his disciples. Jesus regularly told those he performed a healing miracle with not to tell anyone. So Jesus was kind of big on this whole secret service stuff, wasn't he? 
After ministry, what Jesus would do is take the disciples away to where? A quiet and solitary place so that they could rest and receive some teaching from him. So silence, solitude, it was important. Jesus knew how important these, these things were, silence, solitude and secret acts of service. He knew how important they were to guard against the human temptation over being the greatest of all time, over being the goat. The disciples are a bit like us, aren't they? They want to be noticed as the greatest. Mark 9, 33. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, I love this passage. What were you arguing about on the road? What were you arguing about? What was so important that you were having an argument on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. At least they knew enough not to fess up about it. Jesus knew though, didn't he? In response, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and he said this. He said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Matthew 6, 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus knew that the only way to be on the top was to be on the bottom. The only way to be great was to be a servant. The best way to serve quietly, the best way to serve was quietly without making a show of it. The way to learn was to draw aside from others and spend time alone with him. The remedy for success was solitude. Times of solitude and silence in God's presence, they help to refocus us. They help to anchor us in the here and now, where we are right now with God, rather than worrying about what someone said or what someone did or worrying about yesterday or tomorrow, what someone else might do next week to us. They stop us worrying about thinking how to fix problems or how to gain approval. Silence and solitude cause a halt to the busyness and the self-importance and the agendas that drive us most of the time. You know, even spiritual agendas can drive us in an unhealthy manner and feed our addiction to approval. Times of solitude and silence are times where we learn just to be here and present with God. And we discover that God really is with us. And we're given a chance just to be holy ourselves. Just real, just really real before God. You know, no words to impress him. No big prayers to persuade him. No uh, service to try and gain his favour. No study of his word to gain revelation and the self-importance it often gives us. We're just simply in his presence. No agendas, no demands, no needs. We just simply come. And it is enough that God is God and we are his. How beautiful is that? Serving others in secret trains us to be the least. Mark 9.35, it, it trains us to act and work and do in this world without needing the reward of approval or applause. Serving others in secret, uh, particularly when they are things that are trivial or mundane, that has no importance attached to them, it develops our, our inner personhood and our humility and our patience and our contentment. 
and we train ourselves to be content with small things that hold little prestige in this world except the satisfaction of knowing that Jesus would do the same. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. When we are still and quiet before God, we will know God and we will delight in his exaltation. We will learn that God is the greatest of all time. We will know that God is the goat. He is the greatest. And somehow in those moments, our own need for exaltation and honour and esteem and approval just falls away. So I encourage you this week, take five with God. Take five with God for five minutes. For five minutes each day, find a quiet place to sit. Just sit. Maybe it's early morning before your family awakes and you, know, you watch the sunrise. Maybe it's over your morning coffee. Maybe it's on your lunch break at work. You head out and find a park somewhere just to sit. Maybe it's while you're driving. You, know, you switch off the music, switch off the radio. Maybe it's before you go to bed and you sneak outside and just look at the stars for five minutes. Just be still and listen to God's silence. God calls us to be still and know him. And uh, it's not just about us not speaking. It's about us being silent in in mind and thought as well. It's actually pretty hard to do if you've tried it. Your mind will probably fight against the silence. And you'll probably come up with like a to-do list and um, a grocery shopping list for the week. And you remember the text that you didn't send and something that you need to tell someone. So it, it takes discipline. I mean, this will be like lifting weights for your mind and, and your, your spirit. It takes discipline for our mind to be quiet. And then we can also practice silence with people. So take five with your family, with your work colleagues, with your friends, with your church. You know, I've never heard of, of anyone being hurt or offended or feeling a love because someone took time to listen to them. And so if you want to listen to someone, you know, you're going to have to use less words, aren't you? So try, take five with others. So try spending five minutes listening to someone. Like uninterrupted, total focus, them talking and you just listening. And, and you only need to talk just enough to keep them talking. Ask them a question or, you know, say, yep, I'm hearing it. Just whatever it is to keep them talking. And what you'll find if you start to practice these, these spiritual habits is that your words will become fewer, but they'll be far more meaningful. And, and we will speak more truth because we're taking greater care with our speech. And we are likely to understand and be looking at things from the other person's perspective, which frees us from needing to have all of our conversations and all of our inner thought life be about ourself. And then we can practice acts of service. And I recommend do them in secret. I'm not so much talking about volunteering or, or overt acts of, of service. We're actually going to cover that later in this series. But I'm talking about those simple, trivial, mundane, everyday things. Those things that no one sees. Um, it's even better if the person who's being blessed doesn't even know that they're being blessed. I mean, that might be a bit tricky for you to figure out how to bless someone without them knowing they're being blessed. But that's, that's the best way to do it. Completely unseen. 
And uh, I think one of the, the most beautiful ways you can bless someone and they might never know that you're blessing them is actually through prayer. Actually committing to sacrifice yourself and your time to pray for others. And, and I can tell you what, that discipline will take your focus off yourself. It will cause you to forget yourself and to notice others. And you won't feed your addiction to approval because no one's going to know that you're doing it. I'm just going to finish with a, just a, a, I guess a little testimony of, of how I've seen this stuff in application in my own life. And I would say uh, identity and approval addiction is, has been a really significant part of my journey. Um, before I even really was aware of the, the, the concept of you know, seeing ourselves as Jesus sees us and having a healthy identity uh, in Christ, uh, it, was, it really was an issue. And um, somehow, quietly, without me noticing, it's changed. And um, I, I can't put a date on when I suddenly went from addicted to approval to not addicted to approval. Uh, it's not like I suddenly woke up one day and went, oh, I'm no longer addicted to needing other people's approval and attention. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. You know, like, and no doubt, God's going to continue to refine this aspect of me, like all of us, isn't he? Uh, but I've been reflecting on, on, on why, what's happened, how, how have some of these things shaped my life and brought a real freedom and transformation in this area. And, and I, I do think that the, the process of uh, planting and pastoring a, a church, which involves a, a lot of, I can tell you, a lot of silence and stillness before God, when you're not really too sure what to do, so you just kind of sit there and say, oh God. <laughs> um, and, and, and a lot of, uh, I guess what I'd call secret service, you know, just really trivial, mundane things. And, and I guess if I talk about them, then they don't become secret acts of service, do they? But, you know, just those, those ongoing everyday things that, that you do, that, that no one ever sees, that, that forces you to put aside your, your own needs, your own wants, your own desires uh, to, to focus on uh, other, other people. And, um, you know, all those, those times where, uh, you know, listening to people, loving for them, caring, them, caring for them. Um, there'd be many times when I, I don't know what to do or I don't know what to pray, so I just sit in God's presence. And so I, I've needed to learn how to become self-forgetful because you need to do that if you're serving others. And, and somehow quietly I see that the, the fruit of all this in my life has been that my identity is now in a much more healthy place. Uh, there's probably been another key aspect of my freedom that we'll look at again in, in a few weeks time that I might tell you a bit more about then. But I really do believe that, that the addiction I had to approval and needing validation from others has quietly been dissolving. Am I there yet? Oh, probably not. <laughs> this sort of thing is a lifelong discipline isn't it? But I really believe that the addiction has been broken and I'm now not nearly so concerned that other people approve of me. You know, it's always nice, but it's, it's no longer a necessity. And so I just really invite you to really have an honest reflection about where you're at with some of these sorts of things. I really think it is uh, an issue that most people on, on some level uh, struggle with. So I invite you this week or, or even now, we're actually 
we're going to spend a few moments just sitting in silence. And I just invite you to just sit there with God. And he, he might show you some things. He might reveal some things to you. Don't, don't try too hard. Just allow God to minister to you. But as, uh, as the, the coming weeks uh, progress, I encourage you to look at how you can work some regular daily times of just silence and solitude before God and how you can practice silence and solitude uh, with, with others, listening to them, loving on them. And, and maybe look for some ways you can uh, do some secret acts of service for one another. I'm going to pray and then we'll just spend just a short time in silence and then uh, after a little time Steve will start the music and, and feel free to stay or feel free then to, to get up and have a cuppa at that point. Lord God Almighty, uh, we, we offer our bodies to you as a living sacrifice and we know that you, you alone, Jesus, make us whole and acceptable to you. And so, Lord, for all those areas of, of our old nature that still exist, for, for the desire in us that, that sometimes rises up to need approval and significance and validation and acceptance by others, Lord, where that is, is unhealthy, where that needs uh, freedom and transformation in our life, would you bring that Holy Spirit? Would you give us the, the, the opportunities and courage and, and desire to just regularly draw aside and, and spend time in your presence just being still knowing that you are God and we are yours and, and that's all that's really needed that's all that's really needed Father would we be a people who have a heart to serve one another in secret would we have a heart to bless one another to pray one, for one another and to really be there giving of ourselves to one another may we be a church that knows how to deny ourselves to take up our cross and follow you and lord in the name of jesus would you just break the addiction that we have to to pride to self-exaltation would you make us to be a people who forget us who say less of us but more of you jesus Less of us, but more of you, Jesus. May our whole heart's desire be to honour and praise and bless and exalt and hold you in high esteem. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.